I was great at making money. That's different than being financially literate. This is The Playbook. I have one of our great mentees and mentors, Marco Antonio Rodriguez. Let's get going. Let's teach people how to coach, mentor, and teach. You have a question for me. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Dave, for having me again. I'm going to kick it off just the same way I do every time we have a coaching session. The last time we, we spoke, you were on your way to Dubai. You just came back from the Masters. This time was a little different. You went with your family. What is something you took away from that experience and something you kind of want to implement moving forward? That everything that I do is a practice. And no matter how much we think we know, we know we don't know what we don't know. And we still fall into the interference of the ego. And I'll give you the greatest lesson that I learned was at the Masters. And like you said, I've been going to the Masters for 25 years. This was the first time I ever brought my family with me, my wife and especially my 12-year-old son. And it was a bucket list for me to bring them to the Masters. I've initially, you know, have given that bucket list to so many people. The first time I went to the Masters, it was a bucket list item for me. And it meant so much to me that I made uh, a, a vow to bring as many people. In fact, CBS did one year, the master of giving, because every year I bring at least one family down who, you know, may have been facing some challenges during the year, health challenge, economic challenges, and bring them down to the masters as a life experience. And for me, this was the year that was about me and, and my son, who was 12, that could appreciate it. And my wife, and, you know, we went and on the, the last day we're at the master's, I don't like to go into the masters every day for hours and hours. I've been for 25 years. I like to share that experience. And so the last day I asked my 12 year old son, my wife didn't want to go back in uh, as well. We had already spent enough time in there, seen every hole, every concession, every phone bank, every shopping thing there, all the experiences that make it unique. So I asked my son if he wants to go and he said, Oh yeah, I want to go. And so I actually said, why don't you go with Jake? Jake's kind of, Jakey Bakey's kind of Miles's older brother. And I thought they would enjoy going in together. And his immediate reaction was, no, I, it's okay, dad, I don't need to go. And I could see in his face that it wasn't about the masters, right? <laughs> and I was too stupid, too far in my own way, forgetting my non-negotiables right? I ran in the morning early before anybody got up. So I hit my non-negotiable of health, but my second non-negotiable is my family. And so many times I forget that an activity I get paid for, which is my third non-negotiable behind family gets mistaken to, I think somehow envelop that I'm in the activity I get paid for, for my family. Therefore I'm prioritizing my family and this juxtaposition is a mistake that not only I still struggle with justifying the activities I get paid for to attribute the activities towards my family instead of what's really important to me. And that prioritization, as you know, with my daily practices, which I give to everybody has changed my life. And even though I teach gratitude, I forget to say thank you. Even though I teach the daily practices, I forget to do that even though my family means the most to me next to my own health, I forget that the activity I get paid for is not about my family. It's not about my family. 
my attention and intention of what I do say, think, believe, and feel, that is where that connection or value or importance of my family. And that was a huge, huge lesson for me as I looked at the disappointment in my son's face to make sure that I'm paying attention and giving intention to the things that are most non-negotiable, most important in my life. Sharing that, Dave. You also went to the Global Entrepreneur Summit. You know, you're around some of the greatest minds in the world. Tell us what that was like. You know, what was the energy like? Did you have meetings? Did you strategize and create a plan moving forward together? What was your biggest takeaway? Yeah, well, first of all, to be more interested than interesting, I there's 120 countries represented in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, and it's a unique, they just opened up Saudi Arabia in 2019. And then pretty much with COVID, it got closed down again. So there's been very few Americans that have been allowed to Saudi into the palace, into these specific areas in a completely different culture. And so not only was I more interested than interesting on the activity I planned, but also the activity I didn't have planned. I was very strategic about traveling. I spent seven hours in Dubai. I had seven meetings in person in Dubai and then got back to the airport and spent 20 hours at the Global Entrepreneur Con where, you know, blessed number one to be the keynote with Steve Wozniak from Apple, uh, Mark Randolph, the founder of Netflix, and Jeff Hoffman, the founder of Priceline. So set up specific opportunities, of course, with the, the keynotes. But more importantly, understanding who was attending. And so Elizabeth Gore from Hello Alice, Shiv, you know, there's amazing people from around the world who it would take days, weeks, months, and years to get to all of them. So I wanted to be very strategic to be interviewed with the Arab News and CNBC and CNN that were there. There's a variety of, of aspects to, to be efficient and even, you know, still work out. And, and put that in there, time for my family from Riyadh. So I think the biggest aspect is to utilize my time efficiently, effectively. And I think some people went over there for five days and probably didn't get as much out of the opportunity that we did. And the follow-up has seen, you know, the advancement in the productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. But to be around the world thought leaders in entrepreneurship and see the commonality, whether it was from the Cameroon or from Holland or, you know, from, you know, North Africa, the Middle East, Latin America, it was extraordinary because there is a common denominator of entrepreneurship and innovation. And there is, and that's simply, it's the desire that you must be what you can be for others. And that was pretty much what I learned uh, about that commonality. And so, you know, besides be more interested than interesting, understand that that desire is what seems to be a common thread between great entrepreneurs and innovators, ones that you know, and ones that we don't know. Beautiful, Dave. This next question is in regard to kind of like the creative process that you take when you're starting a new venture. As you know, you and I know to give people some, some context, we've been into, gone into business partnership, you, myself, and NFL Hall of Fame running back Marshall Falk, and we're creating a community called the Gripenor Business Network. When you started working with Lee Steinberg Sports Entertainment, what was the first thing you did uh, in terms of getting the organization organized and creating a plan to move forward? Well, the organization luckily was already, you know, obviously there. Jeff Moore did a great job of 
building up the most notable sports agency in the world. But what I did was institute what we're doing here today, trainings. So to create the value-based training so that something that wasn't present in the firm when I got there was this idea that, you know, empowering people to make decisions based off of number one, gratitude, that they were constantly looking for the light, the love and the lessons and all the players, coaches, owners, situations, but determining how much time they were going to spend by prioritizing, is this player worth the time to find the light, the love and the lessons in, or are there more efficient, effective situations that are applicable to the 24 hours a day for the agent agency and agent tree that went on, on. to forgiveness, you know, they, there was no peace in that space. And so I wanted to show how, you know, forgiving ourselves, working towards and pursuing our own potential could create more efficiencies. And then accountability, when you're looking at a bunch of sports lawyers in the sports world, everybody lives in liability. There was so much blame, shame, and justification, not just within the context of our firm, but in the industry itself. And so instituting accountability, which is one of the more difficult things to understand because you know, I was just doing a speech yesterday and talking about the difference between liability and accountability. And it's a very difficult thing to understand. You know, I was talking about uh, a bankruptcy or a car accident. And, you know, when I went bankrupt, my wife and I were in deep liability, blame, shame, this person committed fraud, this person, it, it was all about liability and people to blame and living in shame and justifying what had happened. And until I took accountability, meaning, okay, what was my participation? You know, I hesitate because people get resistance when I say, you know, you attracted it to, you know, I attracted to this to myself. I think a better way to communicate it is, what was my participation in this car accident? What was my participation in the bankruptcy? But most importantly, the, the real differentiator in accountability to liability is the promotion and protection of it. When we look to see what am I supposed to learn from the car accident, from the bankruptcy. And I think when we take that perspective and it requires faith, and I talk about this a lot, it requires faith that there's something bigger than me, something unchanging, which means it's infinite, it's omniscient, all powerful and all knowing, but it's unchanging. So everything else will change according to the stable, unchanging nature of something bigger than us that loves us more than our mom loves us, or we love our own children. And you and I have, you know, moms that love us probably too much, but imagine there's something that's omniscient and all knowing that loves us even more. And why is that important? Because when there's pain, mistakes, failures, and setbacks, car accidents and bankruptcies, we know that we're being promoted and protected, just like if you were going to put your hand on a hot stove and your mom slaps you for the very first time and screams at you, no, your immediate reaction is, why am I being punished? Why am I being punished by this bankruptcy? Why me? It's everybody else. Why me? And, you know, this is the majority of perception in mistakes, failure, setback, and pain that I'm trying to re-engineer. If you can make this subtle shift in your life to accountability, which I did at least Steinberg Sports and Entertainment, where we were being promoted and protected when we didn't get a certain client 
when certain things happen that we didn't get an opportunity instead of why me we should have this person talked behind lee's back this person did this to us this person left us instead we said thank you i forgive myself i'm at peace but i know one thing i'm much better off not having that client not being in this situation because there's something better coming for us the promotion and protection and if you see where i left lee steinberg and not only put him into recovery to save his life but also today where he represents the number one quarterback with the biggest contract pat mahomes that culture of gratitude forgiveness accountability and inspiration has pervaded and continued on and the practice of a lot of those people still coming to free trainings as we have here you know it's almost 65,000 people register for this training. I can't tell you how many hundreds of thousands watch it on Monday because I make it into a podcast. Surprisingly, with all the billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, and entertainers we have on all the shows, the number one downloaded, uh, the number one downloaded episode every week is the training, not Sadhguru, not Deepak, not Tillman Fertitta, not Marshall Falk even, who I wish it was, but it, you know, it, 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 not Cameron Diaz or Dan Aykroyd, none of these people. It's these trainings that resonate most with people to inspire them. And so I think it's you know, very important today to remind, remember, and recollect these values. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, it's a minimum of an hour with my company on Mondays, minimum 15 minutes on Wednesdays, and a minimum of two hours on Friday, including an hour of this training and then a Friday meeting. And the first thing and only thing we start with is the four values and the five daily practices. Wow, love that brother. So what I'm hearing is changing the culture around accountability, forgiveness, yeah. and just like being open-minded and wanna learn more because that's one of the reasons why I continue to come to these trainings is, well, first off the community, you know, being around people that are like-minded and want to learn, I'm attracted to that. And that kind of leads me to my next point because we're building that with the group Panora Network. And I'm noticing that there's certain areas and industries that I'm not an expert at. And I, and I want to have those people within our network. What is your process for like setting up your board of directors? What, is, what do you look for? Well, first of all, I think I want to distinguish for everyone, a board of directors carries a lot of liability and responsibility. And so I utilize a board of advisors, which is different. There's no legality. There's no E&O and D&O insurance necessary. In a board of advisors, I set up as many people on a board of advisors as possible. Obviously, on a board of directors, you can't have as many people as possible right? It would be a nightmare. But a board of advisors, specifically to me, is a core component of how to scale a business effectively, because it really encompasses what we're doing here today with Hot Seat Coach. And the idea of coaching, mentoring, and teaching, a mentor is going to be someone who sits where you want to be and give you directions. A coach is someone that may not even be where you want to be, but they bring the best out of you. You'll see this in golf all the time, right? The greatest golf coaches they're not as good as Tiger or JT or Scheffler, but they bring the best out of Tiger, JT and Scheffler. And then a teacher, and, and someone can be all three, by the way. And I work hard and in, in, in focus a lot on being all three. The third one's my most uh, difficult challenge 
I find I'm very good at giving directions to where I am. I'm very good at bringing the best out of people because of the nature and complexity of you know, my knowledge base, I find it very difficult sometimes to teach people because you have to meet them where they're at. You have to know what they're listening for. That's why I do these trainings. That's why I do free meetups every city I go to about 200 a year, because I want to hear what people are listening for and try to transcode some of the knowledge base that I have into uh, vernacular that people, you know, can resonate with and understand and say, oh yeah, I get the car accident thing now. You know, before that woo-woo, ethereal, complex, metaphysical explanation meant nothing to me. So the mentorship coaching, and I know you've sat there in a coaching session, go, what the heck did he just say? Um, (laughs) And everybody in the community has had those times, which, you know, my publisher calls Meltzerisms. They're like, dude, nobody's going to understand this. (laughs) So (laughs) re-explain it. So teaching is my biggest challenge. And to to that end, you know, we need to utilize all, all three of those things in order to effectuate empowering others so that they can empower others. And, you know, what is such a thing for me to see is as we've worked together over the years, how many people you mentor, coach, and teach. And to understand the fastest way to get where you want to be is to find someone who's always there. In the realm of board of advisors, I pick and choose when when I'm helping companies, one person with one ask and one requirement. So, you know, you have a specialty in, you know, hospitality. I need someone that's going to do this within the context of your skills, knowledge, and desire. So I'll build a board of advisors with 30 to 50 advisors. Some of them are just to make introductions to money. Some are to give me advice about structuring. Some are to give me situational advice according to the business model. One aspect, you may be an expert in sales. And my only ask is that you advise my vice president of sales with the best CRM because you have a relationship with Salesforce and Benioff or something like that. I think people limit themselves Number one, because they don't distinguish between a board of directors and a board of advisors, and they don't ask and understand that you can create your own community with the board of advisors that will accelerate your business to the nth degree. And it's a secret sauce that I've used not only in corporate America, but also in charitable America. It's part of the reason, you know, I'm the chief chancellor of Junior Achievement University, and those are basically a board of advisors. Right. When whether it was Bob Proctor, Marin Morrissey, Sharon Lecter, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, John Asaroff, Brian Tracy, you know, I specifically made those asks. And it was a catalyst to be nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize because of the credibility of my board of advisors that really hold no you know, true position or liability in what we do. So it works in both profit and nonprofit situations. Wow, man, I appreciate you explaining that. You and I are building this group out and we need experts. And I know you have your, you know, a bunch of your community here on Clubhouse and Zoom. And, you know, I'm asking big because we're looking for the right people to help us build this out, you know, that are aligned with, you know, our mission to help more people and get them access to financial literacy, make sure no one is left out. So, Dave, you and Marshall could be doing anything in the world, you know, but you've chose to go into this business with me. Why, why do you do this? Well, it's financial literacy month and Marshall and I have been blessed and we both have had challenges. And one of the things that I love 
about working with Marshall Falk is that he's the antithesis of what an athlete normally is. An athlete was more like the mistakes that I made. People think that just because you make a lot of money that you're financially literate. And I'm a classic example of making multiple millions and not being financially literate, where Marshall always took uh, the approach of being financially literate, of being more interested than interesting, of asking for help. You know, he talks about the biggest indicator of people that weren't financially literate. We were like, well, I got my guy, <laughs> right? I got a guy. And I kind of, it, it was funny because it, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that because I made so much money right out of law school, I thought I was financially literate. And because everyone called me Midas, I thought I was financially literate. And then I started believing that I was Midas, meaning everything I touched turned to gold because everything in my first 10 years or 15 years of business indicated that everything I touched turned to gold. But meanwhile, I was great at making money. That's different than being financially literate, right? I'm still very good at making money, but now I'm financially literate. So I align my money with my timing, my risk tolerance and my values. And I utilize it under the context of exponential growth and acceleration, what Einstein defines as compound interest. But what I've learned about compound interest through the financial literacy that I've gained and why I work with you and Marshall and Tyree and others and have built this huge group of people that are empowering people to understand the aggregate effect of energy. And so behavior is an energy. So I want people not only to learn the aggregate effect of money as an energy, a currency, an object of energy that we put into the flow to get what we want, but good behavior, kindness as an energy. Because good behavior aggregates the same as money. You can use the rule of 72. You can actually use that same rule of aggregate effect and compound interest with good behavior and bad behavior. See, the thing about money as an energy and good behavior as an energy is that when we start practicing good behavior, we expect instant results. Now, Einstein was very clear about the difference between pragmatic man-made time and the relativity of time. So within the context of relativity, and I'm going to get into that teachable zone right now where some people go, what the F is he talking about? In the realm of, of infinite time, unchanged superpower time, relativity, things, good behaviors do happen in, instantly in the realm of infinity. So for example, a good behavior of patience, if you are infinitely patient, everything would happen instantly. So in the context of relativity, we actually are meeting our expectation by utilizing aggregate effect or compounding of good behavior. Now, negative behavior, whether it's with money as an energy or with something else, negative behavior, we don't ever expect a result because we don't see anything instantaneously in the many construct of time. In both cases, in good behavior and money aggregating in the right direction, it never happens as fast as we want. And in negative behavior, according to money or other things in our lives, it aggregates and it's too late when it does happen. So if you're doing the right things, 
you need to have infinite patience. So the immediacy is satiating or satisfying to you. And with negative behaviors, you have to come to the realization that sooner or later, the truth will come out. And that's how I ended up being bankrupt because my negative behavior was aggregating. And eventually the two curves, my earning curve and my investment curve started to create an inverse relationship to one another. And the accelerated state of the negative behavior was not uh, one that I could create a solution for quick enough. And so I want people to think in the context uh, of how things aggregate, go study Einstein's rule of 72, not just for the energy of money, but the energy of the behavior with money, good behavior and bad behavior and the aggregate effect in what it has in your life uh, and use things like gratitude and kindness as you know, the forefront of your good behavior and use fear at the forefront, the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, worrying, complaining as you know, the forefront of the negative behavior. Man, I really appreciate you always, you know, just being so vulnerable about, you know, even your own past. And is that when you would say you realize that you were financially, maybe not literally, you know, when you lost all your houses and reality set in? Well, it was funny is I actually started learning I was financially illiterate two years before I lost everything. But like I said, the negative behavior the aggregate effect, the causes were already put forth in motion. What scared my wife most as we you know, went from having 33 homes in San Diego, a golf course, a ski mountain, anything we ever wanted to buy to a rented house or rented car, I mean, rented furniture in one car uh, was how calm I was, at peace I was. Because I had already shifted uh, my paradigm before that. And so you know, when it came time to lose over $100 million and go bankrupt, I was actually so prepared mindset wise, heart set wise, and handset wise with financial literacy, that I shifted my attention to, you know, not putting things, you know, this idea of just trusting, but trusting and vetting timing and risk tolerance, all the different philosophies I had been practicing for two years, which is why, by the way, I made the money back so quickly with the shift in faith that there was something bigger than me that loved me more. So I took that bankruptcy as promoting and protecting me and with those aspects. Now, all right, let, let's take some questions. Marco, thank you so much for showing how we mentor, how we coach and how we teach. I think it was a great illumination of, you know, varying from my mentorship of just telling you, you know, directions from board of advisors, the board of directors to coaching, hopefully inspiring you in certain ways to be faithful and believing that there's something bigger than you that loves you so much and you're being protected and promoted to the teachability aspect, which I thought was fun to give a classic case study of, okay, here's, I can see the different levels of communication that would resonate with different frequencies from highly complex uh, ideas to very simplify utilizations of those ideas. And so just a great session as always. I appreciate you being so vulnerable. I appreciate you being on my team. Before we take some questions on Zoom, on Clubhouse, online, where can people reach out to you to join our team? Yeah, thank you, Dave. Yeah, uh, they can contact me directly. Uh, my contact is 707-685-4007. They can also add me here on Clubhouse and I'll reach out 
individually, either myself or someone on our team, Tyree. My email is marcoantonio at virtuity.com. Happy to be of service and I'm grateful. I'm sorry, 707-685-4007.